0: This purpose, going to work with this purpose every day, it's it's a joy to go to work when you know that you're doing something with so much meaning.
1: Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Mike Flynn. And if you're just joining us, I interview entrepreneurs and leaders who are using their platform to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And each guest is part of a series, such as leadership, the champion's mindset, or in this case, happiness. Far too often, we allow happiness to take on a form of a mythical creature that constantly eludes our grasp. Here one minute and gone the next. And many in society have taught us to believe that we cannot choose to be happy because happiness is something that can only be earned. In other words, we often think of happiness in this way. I will be happy when I accomplish X, Y, or Z. I will be happy when I lose 15 pounds. I will be happy when my business is successful. But in reality, happiness is within our grasp in the here and now, and every day, We have the power and free will to choose to be happy no matter our life circumstance. In fact, Viktor Frankl says, no matter our life circumstance, the last human freedom no one can take from us is the ability to choose our attitude. That comes from his book, Man's Search for Meaning, which he wrote after being freed from a Nazi concentration camp where his wife, unborn child, mother and father were killed. So yes, No matter our life circumstance, we have the free will to choose to be happy. Now, my hope is that the guests coming up, the guests you will hear from these next few weeks, will breathe life into your ability to choose to be happy today, tomorrow, and every day. Doing so will give you and I an advantage in business, relationships, and life in general. I need to hear this just as much as the next person. So bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. Today, we kick off the series on happiness with Cheryl O'Lachlan. She is the author of the best-selling book, Killing It, An Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Head Without Losing Your Heart. In addition to being a best-selling author, she is the CEO of Rebel Superherb Beverages, and she previously served as the CEO of Cliff Bar, where she led the concept development and introduction of Luna Bars and was the co-founder and CEO of Plum Organics. She is the former executive director of the Center for Entrepreneurial Studies at the Stanford Graduate School of Business, and she lives in Santa Rosa, California, with her husband, Patrick, and her two sons. In addition to talking about her book, Killing It, we also talk about the potential dangers of being driven, what peak performance means to Cheryl, and what questions entrepreneurs should be asking themselves and conversations they should be having with their spouses to ensure their most important relationships not only survive, but thrive. And we cover so much more. So bust out your pens and paper. Don't be a podcast junkie. Take some notes and brace for impact. Cheryl O'Lachlin, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. I am very excited to visit with you and to be here in your home. Thank you for hosting me and oh, to talk about your career and your amazing book, Killing It, An Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Head Without Losing Your Heart. So welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here, Michael.
1: Yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm really honored. Um, I've, I've been a consumer of the products that, that you've either managed or helped build and create uh, ever since I was a little kid, so... Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, Cliff Bar. Uh, wow. You know, I've had Cliff Bar for forever. I mean, Quaker Oats, come on. <laughs> I mean, like that goes way back. Oh you know? yeah. <laughs> we'll talk more about that in a minute. But <laughs> if you could take any skill that you currently possess and turn it into a superpower, what would it be?
0: Now this this might be a strange answer to your question, but one of the things that I've been working on over time based on everything that I've gone through in my career, the ups and the downs and having kids and a wonderful husband. It's really just learning how to slow down and just be. I've always gone so fast my whole life, been so intense. And I just know that just being with people and truly being there, listening and finding the compassion to be there entirely with them, not thinking about something else, that to me is the greatest superpower you can have in the world. Oh,
1: I love that. I love that. It's a very intentional, thoughtful answer. What do you do today to nourish that, to to develop that skill?
0: Yeah, well, you're here today, and I just came from a Pilates (laughs) class. I had to breathe through that thing and really be there to get through it. But, you know, I have two kids, they're 16 and 13, two boys, and half the time they are in love with each other, half the time they're beating the crap out of each other, (laughs) and just trying to sit there and not immediately react and start yelling and screaming, but just be there with them, listen to what they're talking about, and, and start to engage them, because I find if I can engage them they immediately come out of whatever they're going through together and we become more of a family.
1: That's awesome. That's, su- that's such a great story just about being present yeah. in whatever you're doing. And it requires intention and mindfulness uh, to do that.
0: And uh, patience. And
1: patience. Yeah. And willingness to collaborate with others. And even when you might see a skill set or something that that is a, a weakness in that other person, you have to give room
0: yeah, for others. Great point. You, know, you
1: have to be other oriented. Yes. And and uh, that has a, a 10X kind of impact on what you're capable of doing.
0: So it's such a good point because we have, such, especially as entrepreneurs, we have such a an energy to just go for everything and make stuff happen constantly. It is very hard truly to slow down be with someone, and not react to what they're saying. And if it's something to your point, like if it's a quote-unquote weakness, it might bother you yeah. and kind of get under your skin. But it's like, slow down. What's really going on with this person? Let's learn. Maybe there's something there that we're not fully understanding, but we have to be there with that person to get it.
1: Yeah, you know, there's two books that come to mind. and And as an interviewer, it's a really hard thing to do to to be present because you you've got like you you're trying to guide the conversation you've got a set of questions maybe another question pops in your 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 head but you want to be a listener you want to listen and and be focused entirely on your guest and their story and your story and two books come to mind that talk about how important listening is and one is How to Win Friends and Influence People mm. by Dale Carnegie mm, classic. 1930-something. <laughs> the principles are still true today. And then a modern version of that called The Art of People, huh. written by a guy named Dave Kirpin. He's a New York Times bestselling author, uh, you know, business guy out of the East Coast who's been on my show also. And one of the key skills that uh, that he features, there's 11 skills, one of which is shut up and listen.
0: <laughs> That's a good one.
1: <laughs> That's a good one. You know, but it's hard. Yeah, It's hard because we all have – our own agenda yeah. that we want to to happen in this moment and this day and and in our the months or weeks ahead you know so it's it's hard to slow down in today's information overload world and really listen
0: so true but
1: it's such a powerful thing it's
0: such a powerful you
1: know thing. when you can connect with someone on that level yeah. but we require coaching we require development which re- leads me into my next question that every great story including yours has a hero And every hero has a series of guides that helps him or her along the way. Can you share with us a story about a mentor or a guide that's influenced your outlook in life, either personally or professionally or both?
0: Yeah, I definitely think back to my days at Cliff Bar and where I was CEO. And the greatest mentor I've ever had is Gary Erickson. He is the co-founder and now owner of Cliff Bar. And he literally changed my life. I tell you a quick story about that. So, you know, I had been actually with some multinational companies and I was in marketing and I had learned that to be a good marketer, you had to be very objective. You couldn't be the consumer. And, you know, God forbid, when I was working on a very big brand, Gatorade, I was told, "Don't tell them that you're an athlete because if you do, they won't want to work you to work on the brand because you're too close to it." So then, in 1997, I went to Cliff Bar to have an interview at the Berkeley offices, and I walked into the building and I walked into a different world. And so, dogs greeted me at the door. There were bikes hanging on the wall. Literally, I couldn't find any people. So I walked to the back of the building. And there in front of this huge climbing wall was the whole entire company participating in a stretching class. And Gary pops up with his daughter, Lydia. She was his four-year-old daughter. And he pulls her and I into his office and he sits her down on his lap and he starts asking me questions. And here I was like, oh my God, this, this man is not talking to me just as a company owner. He is talking to me as a dad, a husband, a baker, an athlete, and I was just so intrigued. So I joined the company and what Gary taught me was, you know, he told me the story of how he came up with the idea of of Cliff Bar and riding his bike. And he, he taught me to dig deep, to dig into my soul, to really, to find inspiration. And so it was in nineteen ninety eight and i you know I started realizing that I didn't eat i, I ate cliff bars when I was working out hardcore workout. I loved them, but yet I wanted something that was a little bit more for me as a woman that an active woman and also something that was felt empowering because at the time the bars were all about men and muscle and I talked to other women at Cliff Bar and they felt the same way. So we came up with this concept of the Luna Bar, which was the first whole nutrition bar for women. And this business became a $70 million business in three years with virtually no marketing support behind it because we didn't have a lot of money. And it was all because it opened up this huge amount of pent-up demand by women who were basically locked out of this male dominated category and i saw from that moment what when you bring love into your work that's what happens and you know it uh, it became to me so much like so different from what i had learned and everything i did i put my love into it and i love now because of this beginning with gary i love being an entrepreneur I love working on, a you know, the, the whiteboard and creating something out of seemingly nothing and selling a vision and executing a vision. And, you know, I love my people that I work with. I love the purpose behind our company. It's just this is where I feel like I can have to impact entrepreneur, where I can have impact on the world is yeah. through this company.
1: Yeah, that's really powerful. I mean, one of the key things that you talked about there is is being other oriented and you saw an opportunity that the company could benefit by, uh, from, but it, it wasn't pure. It wasn't purely just a bottom line thing. It was, there is a market that needs to be served. That isn't being served that they're eating crappy food. And we are uniquely positioned to offer them tremendous amount of value, add to their life, improve their life. And, then comes the Luna Bar, and that, in and of itself, separate from the Cliff Bar, became a seventy million dollar business. Yeah, the Luna Bar alone. Yeah. Oh my gosh, in three that, years. that's in that's amazing. It's amazing. But that's a testament to the power of being oriented toward others and, and serving others, as opposed to just serving yourself. Or in the other example you gave earlier about not being tied to the brand or or whatever it is, you know, that's not an other oriented methodology. That's very selfish and, and close minded, but here you have this open mindedness and you're, you see an opportunity, you're there to provide value and boom, it mushrooms into something that isn't still today is an incredibly powerful thing. My wife eats Luna bars. <laughs> awesome.
0: Awesome. Well, you, you know, the, the other thing, I mean, Gary just didn't teach me that he, he taught me so much and you know, he almost sold cliff bar in the year 2000. Oh, that's a really powerful
1: story. Um, I read that. Oh, you did. I did, and while I was preparing for the call uh, for our for our interview, I, I read that story, and I would love for you to to share that story.
0: Yeah, I, I want to share that because it's really influenced what now I'm doing with this brand, Rebel, a uh, super herb beverages. So, yeah, Gary almost sold the company because all of our competitors were getting bought out. Uh, Power Bar was bought by Nestle, and Imbalance Bar was bought by. Crap. So we were told as a small privately held company that we would never make it. We would we would die. And Gary found himself in his office. And I always remember the day and he had the lawyers, the bankers and the company that was going to buy Cliff Bar. And he had his 50-50 co-founder standing right next to him. And the multiples these companies were going at at the time were insane, three to four times revenue. And he had his hands very close to the contract and stood up and said, I need to go for a walk. So he went around the block, came back, looked at them all and said, I, I can't sell my company. And his, they were floored. His 50-50 co-founder was pissed. I mean, it was moments away from millions and millions of dollars. So he ended up taking out a $45 million loan on a $90 million company. And that was, that was just to buy her out. That was no investment capital at all and he began to articulate the reason why he made that choice and it was that he this was very unusual at the time you know wonderfully it's it's getting more and more prominent but he wanted to use the power of his company to make a difference in the world to have impact and this was stunning to me i never you know ben and jerry's was doing it need erotic and body shop that that was about it and I had the joy three years later and the true honor of getting to operationalize this vision. And I saw the power of what it could do. You know, it was so, we doubled the company when I was CEO from 100 million to 200 million. The, the company became so profitable, he got his stock certificates back wholly. So we wholly owned the company. And most importantly to me, was I saw the power of what having a purpose behind a company could do to people the people the team that Cliff Bar had would move mountains for that company and we didn't have including me any physical equity but we had such emotional and spiritual equity that we felt in our company we would do anything for it and that rocked my world. It changed everything. It changed the trajectory of where I went with every company that I've been part of since then.
1: Yeah. Because everything else up to that point had been all about the bottom line. Exactly. You know, and exactly. And, and and still today, there's this conflict in the entrepreneurial world. There's, there's companies that try to pretend like they're mission driven and purpose driven, but really they're focused on using that to buffer their bottom line. Right. And then there's companies that are really, really willing to go all out and, you know, sacrifice millions of potential dollars in order to continue to have control over the impact that they can have in the world.
0: Well, and that's what, you know, I'd love to share the story about Rebel because it it has, I think, the way social mission companies are going, one's truly dedicated to it, is is really mind-blowing to me. And when I came back to, when I actually had... uh, There's there's a whole long story behind it, but I had decided after a while, after I, you know, had started, co-founded a company called Plum and had an amazing adventure there, you know, nourishing kids from the high chair to the lunchbox. But having gone through all that, the startup thing and any entrepreneur listening can probably relate, it's challenging. And I was burnt. And we moved up to this beautiful Santa Rosa and wine country, which you and I are sitting in now, and just to slow our lives down. And I wasn't done with doing the day-to-day CEO thing. I was just done. I was burnt out. And this company Rebel came into my life and I fell in love again. I mean, truly fell in love with this company. And It's a super herb beverage and the purpose behind it is incredible. And when I heard this story and it, and got introduced to the product, I was floored. So the purpose, it was this company was actually started, it's Rebel, by the way, R-E-B-B-L. It stands for Roots, Extracts, Berries, Barks, and Leaves. It's what's in the product. It's a super herb elixir based on coconut milk, and I can tell you more about the product. But it was started by a nonprofit, actually. A oh, wow. nonprofit that's called Not For Sale. Not For Sale's whole goal is to eradicate human trafficking. And so they started the company, they had brought a think tank together to solve at the time, which was um, what the trafficking that was happening, the sex trade and the slave trade that was happening in the Peruvian Amazon. And this think tank was challenged with, how can we come up with, uh, with a solution to help these people? And they were really bold in what they did. Dave Bestone, who's the uh, founder of Not For Sale and the executive director, he said, he brought together this crazy group of people. It was an agronomist, Some investors and actually a professional baseball player from the Giants, Jeremy Anfield, and he said, "I'm going to break you into groups, and whoever comes up with a great idea, the idea, I will find a way to fund it." And so he didn't know what was going to happen. It could have been profit, for-profit solution, nonprofit. Didn't care. And so this team came up with this idea of a product called Rebel, which would buy herbs from the local indigenous community and help to support their livelihood so they were no longer vulnerable to trafficking. And to, till this day, we, Dave Bastone is on our board. He is intimately part of our company. We give 2.5% of our net sales of every bottle that we sell back to not for sale to do their work in helping to rehabilitate people who have been trafficked. And in addition to that, we now source ingredients from all over the world. So we work with our grower communities to support their livelihood so they are not vulnerable to trafficking in the first place. So we address the issue down the stream through rehabilitation and and upstream through supporting their livelihood. This purpose Going to work with this purpose every day—it's—it's it's a joy to go to work when you know that you're doing something with so much meaning.
1: Yeah. How, how how's the? I, I mean, I, I would imagine that the environment there at, at the home office is electric, and that everybody feels driven by this this mission and the impact that they're having, and the product is is tasty and the d- bottle is beautiful looking, and it's still a business, and so there's still headwinds that you you have to encounter. So how do you? how do you stay focused on that mission and that purpose and that drive when profitability and the bottom line and all of those villains that want to take you off track from fulfilling your mission get in the way?
0: Well, you know, it's interesting when you think about it, because are they villains or is it part of what is necessary for us to continue to do our work? and? We, we can't have the only thing being profit or else we can't. I mean, investor, our investors who I can talk about, I adore them. They're the best, best board I've ever had in my life. They're committed to this purpose. So they know that we're going to take some steps and make some choices. They That may not be the most profitable choices. However, we know that it's our lifeblood. That's what I love about social mission companies now is this understanding, and that's what Dave Bestone understood, was that if we can do this through a for-profit company, it's going to allow us to be sustainable so we can continue to do our purpose. So it's not one versus the other, it's an ecosystem of support. To make this company that can do this thing. But what is so powerful is the purpose has to be top of mind. And I'll tell you, the investors that we've chosen, the board that we have, they get that in their gut. And whenever an entrepreneur takes that first dollar from somebody, that changes the trajectory of your company. And So to make those choices so deliberately, even if it takes a little more time to raise money, is worth every moment because it will change your purpose if you don't.
1: Have you guys ever taken a trip to any of these indigenous farms or uh, your suppliers basically and and seen their story firsthand or or had the opportunity to hear feedback from from them about the impact that rebels having in their lives?
0: Yeah, well, I've been with the company for the a year and a half. We're hoping to go to Peru this year. A, a bunch of our folks have been there before me on the farm, so I can't wait to go and hear what people are saying, but we take that impact very seriously. So we talk to our growers on a series of issues that we think are important from the environment to social, and we understand how they're managing those within their community and knowing how things are in place such as healthcare and education girls education to be able to support people in that community because again if we don't they're vulnerable to trafficking if they don't have the money to support their livelihood they're vulnerable to trafficking but we want to take that a big step further there's um there's a new tool that the U.N., it's the IFAD, International Federation of Agriculture, that's a division of the U.N., that did a, um, an open source, what they think is the most progressive way of looking at poverty. And it's a 10-point tool. And what we're doing now is we're, we've been, we actually just did a project with Cal Berkeley and IFAD where we looked at a, a community that we're working with, our organic coconut sugar community. And we developed, we worked with them to develop a methodology so we could actually measure what's happening within the community over these 10 points of the MPAT so that we can then see over time, longitudinally, how things are changing given our relationship with this community. Important part of that, which was very interesting that I found out as we did this work with Cal Berkeley is that this poverty survey, it's, it's the best that it, that it can be. But what you also need to know is talking to the people. We started this conversation, our conversation about the importance of listening and we can do everything we can to try to understand from a big picture point of view, and from a quantitative point of view. But until you talk to their you're, that, those people, you can't get into their life and understand what it is that is so important to them in their livelihood. So uh, the hypothesis that uh, this work with Berkeley came up with was that these people are going up to the coconut trees. They're climbing in them to pick the coconuts, but they don't have harnesses. So they're falling and they're hurting themselves. That is the biggest impact on their family we wouldn't have known that just by going out and doing a survey so we need to ask questions work with these communities understand their culture understand what it is that they go through every day that's the next part of our journey is using this tool understanding what's happening in the culture and making sure we're adding environmental measures to it to make to help to roll back what's happening with climate change now
1: yeah that's wow that's that's really powerful, uh, and that you guys are investing in that and partnering with others to, to have that kind of an impact on the very people that enable your business to do what it does with rebel and not for sale and and others. And I'd like to talk about your journey as a, as an entrepreneur and and professional. And so you've been a brand manager at Quaker Oats to the CEO of cliff bar, to co-founding plum organics, to retiring as an entrepreneur (laughs) and CEO to serve as a board member to several companies to then teaching entrepreneurial studies at Stanford and Sonoma State to then stepping back into the CEO role at Rebel to now best-selling author of Killing It. And, oh, yeah, a wife, a mom, maybe a sister, I don't know, but a daughter and definitely a friend. So let's pause a moment and take us back in time a little bit, okay, and tell us where all of this drive and intensity comes from what's the origin of all of this stuff <laughs> and then tell us about the impact moment that launched you on the trajectory that you're now on where you decided to document this in the form of this book
0: <laughs> I'm laughing because somehow I was born with it i don't know my I always remember this one time I have no idea how old I was, maybe I was nine years old, and I'm running through the house as I always do and i'm ripped open the refrigerator and I pulled out a jug of milk and I'm poured into the glass and it's spilling all over all, all over the floor. And my mom says, Cheryl, slow down. Well, as I said earlier, I'm still trying to teach myself that lesson that my mom was trying to teach me so long ago. And as a student, I was always so intense. I just I had to get I had to get great great grades. I was just driven. And when I was in fourth grade, I remember my teacher had given me a project back and it said A plus, 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 plus on it. So I was like, okay, that's the new bar. (laughs) And then I get this other project back and it was an A. I was devastated. I went to the teacher. I'm like, what have I done wrong? I only got an A. What happened to the other pluses? And I went into everything that way. I had to do it perfectly. So, you know, I kind of carried that with me my whole career. Gary taught me a little bit about, you know, trying to slow down. He told me I was like a stallion, a wild stallion. I had to learn how to like channel my energy. And so I took a lot of deep, deep breaths at that time. And, You know, then I went into Plum, and that's, we'll get to where this book ended up coming out with. Um, So I was at Plum, and, you know, Neil and I, my uh, co-founder, Neil Grimmer, brilliant product innovator and branding guy. We started this company all about nourishing kids from the high chair to the lunchbox, and it came out of our hearts. We had kids, we wanted them to eat organic and healthy, but at the time, this was in 2007, really when the stuff in the grocery store with all the junk in it was so shiny and beautiful packaging and convenient. But yet, when you went into um, the natural food stores, you didn't have those shiny packages. And, you know, they kind of smelled funny. And kids. Didn't want anything to do with it, no matter how much we wanted them to. So Neil and I wanted to bridge a gap between convenient and um, good looking, and and healthy and organic. And so we developed this product called Plum, which is these little baby pouches that they have now. And parents just loved them, and you know Neil and I are having a blast you know, doing this company, launching it, and we started experiencing these ups and downs, which any entrepreneur is very familiar with, you go through them every day. And, you know, it was things like, you know, the ups would be selling our product into a key retailer or got, you know, seeing a baby eating our food. That was the best up in the world to these big downs, you know, cultivating a relationship for months with an investor only to have them say, yeah, you know, no thanks, or even not return the phone call um, to, you know, you have product challenges in the beginning. It's inevitable as you're trying to get the company up to, you know, employee issues. And it was up and down and up and down and things were getting a little stressful. And then it got a little worse. So my husband decided to start a family business at the same exact time. Now, why we decided to do that at the same time, I will never ever come to understand, but it was a great idea. So it was called Blue Sky Family Club. It was an indoor play space where kids could be, you know, do exercise and have creative activities and eat healthy food. Parents could relax with a glass of wine and a a beer and parents drooled over this concept. Patrick loved it. I loved it. And I love Patrick. And I didn't want to be a naysayer because we all know all the naysayers when you're thinking about starting a company. And we also thought, you know, okay, so Blue Sky is self-funded. So we would have a little more control. And Plum was backed by uh, institutional investors. So we had a little less control. And we thought we have the perfect balanced portfolio. Well, for various reasons, blue sky blew apart. And I'll always remember the day. It still gives me tr- chills when I think about it. Patrick walked into the door and he was literally white as a ghost and cold to the touch. And I kept saying, you Patrick, what's going on? And it felt like hours that he would answer me. It might've been minutes, I don't know. And I asked him years later, why couldn't you tell me what happened? And he said, Well, because in that moment, I knew it would, our lives would change forever and found out that we had nothing. We had lost every penny that we ever made. We had taken out so much debt. We almost went personally bankrupt. We immediately sold our house. And eight years, just this last year, eight years after the company closed, Blue Sky closed, we just paid off the last of our SBA loan. So this is, we'll come to the book. So I started to run and I, you know, I have to, to just burn off some steam. And then I had to run every day. And then I had to run at least as much as the day before. And then, you know, I was always pushing myself to run a little further and longer. And then- Because
1: you're A+++. plus, Because
0: i mean. Exactly. You're asking about intensity. So, you know, I started to cut back my eating just a little bit at that time. And people, my friends and family started saying to me, well, you're, you know, you're losing a little weight. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, who doesn't want to lose a little weight? And then they started saying, well, you're losing a lot of weight and you're kind of losing too much weight. And I'm seeing the numbers go down on the scale. And I'm like, subconsciously at the time, wow, you know, my whole life's falling apart, but here I have control and here I can be perfect. I can be a plus, 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 plus. So that led me down the path to what became anorexia. And, you know, less people just think, oh, that, you know, that's just her thing. You know, one out of 10 Americans have an eating disorder Um, So you look around a room of people, and you can imagine how many people are sitting on an eating disorder. Most of them, ninety percent of them, you never know that, never talk to anyone about it. But more so than that, the demons that entrepreneurs face come in many shapes and sizes. And it's if you think about it, it's just it's the other side of what we're talking about. There's the light side of entrepreneurship, which is you know, the passion, the dedication, those the persistence, those are all great things that entrepreneurs have. But then there's another side of that, the other side of that spectrum, the dark, which um, a study was just done by Dr. Michael Freeman out of UCF, UCSF. He also teaches at Berkeley. He's also a therapist. And what he found through this study is the first time someone found a correlation between entrepreneurship entrepreneurs and illnesses such as ADHD, bipolar disease, depression, drug abuse. And it's about 72% in the entrepreneurial population versus about 40% in the general pop. And so this is something that we need to understand. And we hear stories of divorce, uh, alcoholism, and, and suicide, which is now being talked about in the Valley these are the dark sides. And that's why I wrote this book because I've, there needs to be a change in, in the culture around entrepreneurship. We don't talk about this shit. You know, we, we talk about the supposed pot of gold at the end and everyone being at Stanford. I mean, when I was I was running the Center for Entrepreneurial Studies there. The students are around billionaires. Money is coming out of Sand Hill Road. It's growing off trees. And everyone thinks they're going to be the next billionaire. And what the media talks about, why I'm so glad you're doing this podcast, the media talks about all of that. But yet most businesses, 99% of businesses don't make it. And entrepreneurs are going through this hardship, this darkness Alone because they think they're the only ones. I want to change the culture of that so people don't feel like they're alone. And that's why I wrote this book.
1: Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it's it's a, an incredibly powerful story. It is and um, powerfully honest. And the, the title I love because the, the main title, Killing It, you constantly hear that in sports, in business. Oh, man, you're killing it. You're crushing it. You know, hustle hard. You know, grind it out and you don't recognize the the relationships that you're killing along the way the the people that you're grinding into dust around you and you often do feel alone because there are naysayers because you don't want as an entrepreneur you you can, you have to protect your your mindset and your outlook from people who might try to bring you down. And so one of the negative byproducts of that is that you actually close yourself off from people who could rally around you and support you.
0: So true.
1: And so is that something you guys found here you are, you've got Plum, you've got you know the the Blue Sky Fa- Family Club that is crumbling. You have this also this track record as a successful CEO behind that so there's like a little bit of ego and and pride in there and then this is happening and in your mind you're probably saying how can this be happening you know <laughs> I'm, and then and then there's probably embarrassment and so i would imagine that you started closing doors and windows from other people to protect yourself to a certain degree is that is that something you found yourself doing or or was there a community that was able to rally around you and kind of help you uh, get back into this awareness of that. Wow. I'm, I'm doing harm.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, I, we were grinding it out ourselves and that's why, you know, anorexia took me, um, because I was, I was trying so hard. I, I, you know, when this first happened, I was, I, I, it's almost like I felt nothing because I knew I had to be there a hundred percent for Patrick for my kids who are eight and five at the time and for plum. And I just grinded. And then, you know, Patrick amazingly after, you know, went through, here's the most optimistic, optimistic person I've ever met in my life. And just was so bummed out. I mean, he could, he couldn't get out and out of bed. He couldn't sleep, but he, he he would hold me in the morning so I wouldn't leave. And I had to break away, which was so painful to go to Plum. And it just, you know, even friends were so good about staying connected with our friends. I mean, once we, we have our groups of friends and when we're with them now, we always make plans for the next one. We never not have plans on the calendar. Our relationships are so important. But yet we would call people up and say, and we we can't, we just can't do it. We can't go out. We can't get out of this house. And once Patrick, after amazingly only three months, started to feel so much better, I fell apart and I started feeling the weight of what happened. And I, you know, after that, and in trying to still continue to grind through Plum and trying to deal with this ourselves, that's when I ended up finally saying, you know what? And I think this is important for entrepreneurs to realize is there's a time to say, you know, I'm done. I need to let go. And so, you know, I, I went to everyone in my company and I said, you know, I think it's best for me that I move on to take some time away from this. And, you know, it was it was a shift for the company, but it, it had to be. I thought it was right for me. I, I, I knew it was right for the company. Eventually, it would, it would have a big impact. And so then I, you know, got the joy of working at a university like Stanford, where there's sun shining all the time and everyone's yeah. talking about big it's concepts. Nothing about,
1: uni- nothing about unicorns uh, over you there.
0: Just, not, I mean, literally, it's an amazing place. It, it, but then that got me reconnected and reconnected to myself. But at the same time, Michael, you know, we uh, when Plum sold, we moved up to Santa Rosa and I thought, okay, I, I took some time off and I thought, you know what? Now everything's going to be right. And because I still felt angst from this whole thing and I hadn't fully dealt with my anorexia and I felt so depressed, you know, and I'm here and I it should be the greatest joy in the world to be in wine country where people talk about food and wine all the time. And I, you know, I just said, I got to do something about this. And I buckled down and, you know, I went through therapy. I went to see a nutrition therapist and a therapist, and I worked my way back. I worked my way finally out of the dark. And, all of, you know, what I realized and what I write in this book is how to do this thing in a joyful, healthy way and how to keep my self-worth from being attached to the company. Yeah. It's, that's something so many entrepreneurs fall in, and it's understandable. It becomes our identity. It's something that we've created. It's like it's like an artist. It comes from your heart and soul. And many times, as we did with Blue Sky, your net worth is involved with the company. Right. And so you have to separate. We're not our companies. We're not. We have lives outside of them that are going to become way beyond them. And I'm amazed at the research that you do. I mean, I am, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, I'm a mommy, I'm a wife, I'm a friend. I love listening to grudge music and drinking Chardonnay and, (laughs) you know, being an avid reader and camping and being outdoors. And, you know, I, I just, that's the person I am and always will be, regardless of what happens and when I'm with the company. It's just it's not all of
1: me. And you've kind of flipped what what used to be you used to be an entrepreneur, and then all of these things. Now you are all of these things, and then an entrepreneur.
0: And I, you know, it's it's, it's almost like I, it's I'm all of these things, and I'm an entrepreneur because I'm part of this story that has this purpose, where I the people I work with, including my board, I just, I love these people. And just, you know, there was a, there was a time, this was about a year and a half ago, and I had just gone through this a hard fundraise. And I walked into the rebel offices and there was Paolo, who's the co-founder of the company and the chief innovation officer. (laughs) He took one look at me and I must look like shit. And he comes up and he said, can I give you a hug? And I said, yes. And he gave me a hug that he didn't let go for like two straight minutes. And I came out of that hug and I felt like I had superpowers. Yeah. And so the company culture to me and understanding the humanity of every person in there and understanding their absolute right to have a full life is so critical to me. Because I know that they're going to be happier and they're going to come to to the company with so much energy and motivation to just do do what it takes to make it happen, but know that they need to rest and recover. That is part of it. That's an integral part of being an entrepreneur is knowing how to rest and recover. And this is going to sound so silly, but in our our internal communication channel called Slack, Um, Because we have, you know, folks that are remote and we have a channel in there called weekend stories and people just post what they did on the weekend, whether it be walking their dog, going on a hike or having a blast at a restaurant with a bunch of friends. But we post these pictures just so we can see that we're doing other stuff and life. This is what's important in life. And believe it or not, my investor and board member, Dwayne, who I adore, he is just so such a wonderful person through his whole soul. I called him up and he said, he and Carol, his partner at Bigger, the um, his investment group, I called him. They were sitting there jamming on the guitar and he's like, hey, check this out. We're jamming on <laughs> our guitars right now. Hey, yeah, let's talk about business for five minutes. And we're going to go back to jamming that's what life is about. So entrepreneurship is part of my life. It's not something that I have to shun. It just works into my philosophy of my life. Right.
1: Yeah. And and it's incredibly powerful. And you went through the peaks and valleys to kind of come to that realization. And I I have so many things that have come to mind through this story that you just told that I want to kind of like develop a little bit. But before i uh, forget. I want to make sure that I connect you with two really incredible leaders. Oh, cool. Who who you may or may not have heard of that that um, are totally aligned with what you're doing. Cool. One of them is a guy named Cameron Harold, who is the uh, best-selling author of three different books, but he's the former chief operating officer of 1 800 Got Junk, uh. and he he has a whole his whole mission is about correcting people's thinking about. ADHD. Wow, and um, he talks about the importance of a vivid vision. That's how he helped grow uh, 1-800 got junk to a hundred million dollar company, as well as others. All about the vision and the culture, and he he talks a lot about the entrepreneurial roller coaster. In fact, there's a whole chapter about it oh. in one of his books, and oh. it's it's phenomenal. So I'm going to connect oh. you with oh, him. Oh, please, cause he's yeah. a cool dude. And the other person is the former editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur magazine, mm. Amy Cosper, if you've not um, met her before, she's a phenomenal person and uh, she just recently resigned from Entrepreneur magazine to go do something more intentional herself. Wow. She started a company called Radical Upstarts. And uh, but she wrote an article for Entrepreneur called Building a The dangers of building a business without a soul.
0: Wow. Specifically
1: talking about some of the Silicon problems in Silicon Valley.
0: Wow! And
1: uh, she's a phenomenal person, and I'll I'd I'll, I'll be happy to make wonderful. Those Thank to you. you. That's huge. So one of the things that came to mind that I'm so impressed, okay, about about you and your story, you and Patrick are are still married.
0: Oh yeah, and that. still
1: love each other, and and have these two sons, and that in and of itself is a miracle. Your your health is a, your health is a miracle. Oh, and you're your, going to make me cry. And your marriage. Is, is a miracle and you should cry tears of joy because it's powerful. And it's an example. You're a beacon to others that, that you don't need to quit on life or each other. How did you do that?
0: Yeah. Um, it, it, you can see so clearly in that moment, how when things just fell apart in blue sky, that there's two paths you can choose. Um, one is to blame and be so angry and, um, just separate yourself from it. And that's what crushes marriages. The other path is to say, we're partners. We're in it together. Hey, look at, you know, I, Patrick did not start blue sky until I said I'm in. And we are, we are partners in every sense of the imagination. And, um, he's my soulmate and, you know, getting through that situation with him, and made our marriage stronger than ever. He's an incredible person, but we never, ever blamed each other.
1: Mm, that is that is key. That is key. And you talk about important questions that people should ask, spouses should ask each other, uh, especially when you have one spouse that's an entrepreneur and another that's not maybe because they don't know what to expect. What are some of the conversations that married entrepreneurs should be having with each other?
0: Yeah. Well, if you're both entrepreneurs, it's really deep conversations as to what it really takes to do this and what you're willing to give up in the process and how much risk you're willing to take together. And that is really, really important. And again, with entrepreneurs, just thinking there's a pot of gold at the end, that risk is real. And the job of an entrepreneur is actually to minimize that risk. It, we all think it's about risk-taking. No, it's about learning how to minimize that risk. So those, those are the business conversations, but they're also the conversations of, you know, how are you going to manage your family? How do you stay connected to, the, to your relationships? When do you tell each other? And how do you, you know, what's your, what's your word? We talked about words in our conversation earlier. What's your word that says you're going down a dangerous path? You know, and to this day, Patrick, you know, we, we, we have always have dinner with the kids religiously, no phones connected with each other. And then Patrick and I will go long after and talk, you know, it's like an hour and a half that we spend on dinner, but it's worth every moment. So we're connected in the family and then we'll go up, you know, I might do a little work and by nine o'clock, I got to be off my computer. And there's some times where I'm like cranking. I'm like, I can't get off. And Patrick will always say Done. It's done time now. We're going to sit, we're going to watch TV, read books together whatever it is. It's done time. But it's also important for people who are entrepreneurs and for people who are with their significant other is not an entrepreneur. I don't care if you're married, if it's, it's a girlfriend, boyfriend, girlfriend, girlfriend, I don't care what it is. It is so important that you listen to each other and that it, an entrepreneur is willing to put it all out there not just that once in the beginning, because there's no way, no matter what I write in this book, there is no way it's like a pregnancy book. You can't possibly know what it's going to be like to have kids and have that baby. But you read a pregnancy book because it's going to give you insight as to what's going to happen. And then when you're going through it, you say, I'm not nuts. (laughs) So, you know, I, I think reading a book like Killing It and understanding and having an entrepreneur know going in that I can say all this stuff, but I don't know exactly what it's going to be like, and to keep that communication open at all times. But in addition, entrepreneurs can get very selfish. We can get locked into our own world. It is so freaking busy all the time that we want to shut out the world. And that a lot of times includes our significant others. That is the worst thing we can do. We have to listen to our significant others with compassion. They have lives too. They're going through ups and downs too. And they're saying really important things that we have to pay attention to. That's what makes a marriage strong. That's what makes a relationship strong. It is so important to continuously talk, never stop. Once you stop talking, that's the end of
1: it. Yeah. Communication is is key. I mean, you're going to, if you're an entrepreneur, you're going to communicate with your investors, your team on a daily basis, on a minute-to-minute basis. Why not the most important relationships with your spouse and your family?
0: It's very true. And I would also say that entrepreneurs are, you know, I call it being with your tribe. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneurs are a tribe. You know, a tribe is a group of people where you feel like they just get you because in many cases, they are doing what you're doing. And, you know, I think of like uh, football fans who You know, they can high five each other and console each other, but you just know you're kind of in the mindset together and entrepreneurs are a tribe too. We just need to connect with each other and share what's real and be willing to be vulnerable because to your earlier point, you know, we're, we're having to sell all the time. as entrepreneurs, we have to sell everybody on our idea because no one's going to come out in this crazy journey. If that in the beginning is just based on a vision with nothing else behind it, how do you convince people to come work for you or fund your company? You have to be the one who's optimistic, who believes in what you're doing and selling it with all your heart and soul. However, there is a time where we have to stop selling and we need to get real. With other entrepreneurs, there's the place that we can do that if we're willing to be vulnerable with each other. And now there's groups like there's Entrepreneurs Organization, uh, Young Presidents, uh, Young Presidents Club. There's my alma mater, Vistage. These are places where you can go. There, there are people that get you, and they understand. And you know, I I, I call it the Great tribesperson Test. You've got to be willing to to cry with them. If you can't cry then th- those aren't the, p- you got to connect with other people, you know, form your own group, find a group of entrepreneurs you can up with, open up with, but find the group of people that you can cry with.
1: Yeah. Now that's, in- that's incredibly important because it can be very lonely. It yeah. Can- be incredibly lonely.
0: And I'm not just talking about women. There were plenty of men that cried in Vistage, yeah. but there was their place that they could let it right. go. It's the
1: safe zone. It's the safe it's zone. It's the safe zone. You know, both Cameron and Amy, who I talked about earlier, have. Cameron has a chapter in his book called Vivid Vision and on my conversation with Amy one of the she said that the number one differentiator between entrepreneurs that succeed and those that don't is clarity of vision and you talked about vision earlier how do how should entrepreneurs approach creating a vision and what are the most common things they leave out they forget to do you know there, there's a there's a formula that's been kind of given for creating a vision in the Silicon Valley sense. But I think that it's, it falls short in, to a certain degree. And what would be your advice to an entrepreneur who's sitting down and creating a vision that they're then going to bring to other people to get behind that project?
0: Yeah, well, I think there's there's two parts of it that are hopefully intricately linked. What's your purpose? What are you passionate about? What's important to you? And digging deep, just like Gary taught me so long ago. And, you know, again, that's what Neil and I did in terms of our passion around our kids. And so something that, that's that important to you and finding where those pain points are. You cannot, no matter how grand your vision is of the change you want to create in the world, if you don't have a need that you're fulfilling or a problem that you're solving that vision will never become a reality. That is critical. And yeah, you're right. You know, we talk about it at Stanford and all the places that that inspiration can come from, from being that consumer to observing uh, observing other consumers to, you know, a technological breakthrough that you realize, oh my God, this enables you to be able to do something that was never possible before. But the purpose and the need have to be linked. And I think that one of the, big mistakes that entrepreneurs make is that they feel like they have to be so bold in their vision that they lose sight of any piece of advice that's coming from their customers or from other people around them that says, you might be going down a wrong path there. And what the way I talk about that is having bold humility. Now, those might sound like oxymoron, how could it be, you be bold and humble at the same time. And as an entrepreneur, don't you always have to be bold? But I think you have to balance that with, uh, with a uh, humility. And what I mean by that, and, you know, based somebody who's, whose word is very um, important in the Valley and now is becoming worldwide understood by entrepreneurs is a guy named Steve Blank, who coined the term along with Eric Ries, the lean startup, which is very powerful in the Valley. And what Steve talks about, I think this is so right on. He, when he says about a startup is that a startup is not a company. A startup is an experiment waiting to find a sustainable, valuable business model. And what that means and how this is linked to humility is our job is, as an entrepreneur is to learn. It is not to every time someone says something to pivot our idea, but we need to listen for the thread of truth. And the thread of truth guides us as to what we need to do to adapt or pivot our vision and our our, our idea and how we're executing it even so that we can make sure that truly we can deliver on what our intention was from the beginning. So entrepreneurs need to understand that their vision is adaptable. Don't walk away from your core core purpose, but your vision is adaptable. Your idea is adaptable. It's got to adapt to the marketplace or else again, your your purpose will never happen.
1: That is really a hard thing to do. Yeah. And and there's so much nuance in communication and generally pe- people have a hard time listening and they don't have listening skills, they have doing <laughs> yeah. skills. Yeah. And and so, you know, going back to the very beginning of our conversation, then the, I I see the only way to do that, to hear that thread of truth is to number 1 slow down and and listen and just be and just pause. Don't be so quick to take action on whatever that thing is. I mean, do you have an, an, a story where where in in your experience or someone you were advising was getting feedback, be it from an investor or a customer, or the marketplace in general. And they were really in a hurry to act, but they slowed down and they listened for that thread of truth. And it it changed the way that they did something.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I'll share a story about about my current company, Rebel. So Rebel now is a coconut milk-based elixir and it's got all the goodness of coconut milk. It's organic. It's, of course, because it's organic, it's non-GMO. And it, it's just exquisite t- tasting. Paulo is just brilliant at product development. And as every company that I've been part of, you can't get people to come into a healthier product if your product doesn't taste good. And one of the things, and I'll go back to why this is connected to your story, you know, we talked in the, about the uh, Rebel story and it came from, how do we source these super herbs in a way that helps to um, that helps to protect the communities that, that they're grown in? And so, when Paulo actually first came into the company, he wanted to find a way to work with these super herbs. And there are herbs that um, there's a couple different ones now. People they're very popular. Turmeric, for example. People are. It's now known for its antioxidant and um, anti-inflammatory po- properties. And these, there's these ov- other herbs that are starting to emerge. They've been around for the millennia, but they're starting to be understood as being perfect for modern day life. They're called adaptogens, and they ad- literally adapt to your body. Yeah, these are things like ashwagandha. Uh, maca and ashwagandha. There's clinical studies behind ashwagandha that say that it helps your body adapt to stress, your individual body. So if you're overstressed, it will calm you down. If you're under stress, it will give you energy. And so Paulo was working with these herbs and he came up with this, this herbal tea that he first, they first launched at Rebel. This was before my time And the tea, you know, the tea was doing pretty well in the market, but, you know, it wasn't blowing the doors off. And over time, we started, you know, Paulo started listening to the market and finding, you know, finding that there was a new thing emerging with coconut milk and the goodness of coconut. And he started, the more he started looking at the more he started saying, this could be a basis of an elixir that could be exquisite tasting. And so he came up with what the product is today. And when I joined the company, it was, it was heart wrenching. And we had, I I looked at everything. I looked at the numbers and I looked at this product and I said, this is the, this is the winning horse. This elixir, this is what consumers are telling us that they really want. So we're a really small company without a lot of resources. And we hadn't raised, this was all friends and family money at the time. So he said, we got to focus our energy. We got to focus our product. And this was heart-wrenching for people because the Tonic product is what started our company. It was what was in the beginning. But what I said to people is, look at." Our soul is in this new product that we've come up with, and the market is telling us this is where it's taking us. And to make this company all the more strong, to make sure that we're giving as much as we can back to not for sale, for not to sell, to do their work, to get this product, these herbs, this you know, super health, healthful drink, organic drink to more people. This is where we got to play, and eventually everyone came on board and it, it's changed the trajectory of the company. There's
1: this very powerful concept that an earlier guest named Daniel Harkavy shared with me. He runs a company, a coaching company called Building Champions out of Portland, Oregon. And he said, you got to reserve the capacity to say no to good things. So you could say yes to great yes. things. Yes. And, and the thing that was launched that started the company was a good thing, but it wasn't the great thing. And now you guys have the great thing yeah. that the market is responding to and is yeah. taking you to the next level and is empowering you to have the impact on these indigenous people, these farmers that are your suppliers that you desire to have that you otherwise wouldn't be able to have because the market wouldn't buy the other product.
0: Yeah, we have some fans out there that miss it, and I understand. Um, try the, the elixirs. <laughs> but yeah, that's
1: a direction we end up taking. What inspires you more today, the pursuit or the achievement?
0: Oh, man, the pursuit. I mean, I, I I'm old. You know, one of the things, this is going to sound so funny, but one of the things Joseph Campbell, who's an amazing man, you know, he's he with so, the whole the power of the the power of myth, the hero's journey, you kind of talked a little bit about that earlier. And one of the things that he talked about was You know, he said, as you get older, he embraces getting older. And I've always, I've never had a fear for some reason of getting older. And I never understood why. And what he said in in one of his books was so powerful to me because he said, you know, when you're younger, it feels all about going to the next thing. And it's what I'm going to do in the future. And when you're, when you get older and I've been through a lot of, a lot of stuff, it starts to become about the moment. Because it is about just the present. There's no more reaching for the next thing. It's about being in the present. So with my company now, it's just about the pursuit of what we're doing with our purpose. It's it's not to me about I don't need to achieve anything else. And when when it's done, when it's time to say uh, to let go, I'll know it's time to say let go. Mm. But that's that's where I am, and I think. I get, you know, I can tell younger, aspiring entrepreneurs, that's what it's about at the end of the day. I try to tell my kids that they'll never believe me. You have to go through your own journey to get there. But at the end of the day, that's what it's about.
1: That's beautiful. And that's where that bold humility comes in, you know, and, and the, the ability and the willingness to listen to your heart and to others, you know, and, and, and that's what ultimately empowers you to have the game changing impact in the world that you're seeking to have. What is the, one of the most surprising or daunting or shocking things you've learned about yourself as an entrepreneur and a leader?
0: It's like it goes back to the beginning. It's you need to slow down to go fast. I'm still teaching that to myself every single day. But when the moments that I can breathe and I have uh, company, the people in my company are very thoughtful and their speed is very different from mine and And it's just helped me also in this journey to try to learn how to slow down and just be. It's helped me because even when I have a conversation with someone, I know I need to just breathe. I need to breathe in the conversation. As you said, I can't be thinking about the next thing. I have to say, I have to be thinking about what they're saying mm-hmm. and listening. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what has surprised me at the end because I thought it was all about going fast and getting the A+++++. plus.
1: <laughs> if there's one thing you want people to remember from our conversation today, what might that be? Is it to slow down or is there something else?
0: It's to separate your self-worth from your company. You've got to do it. It w- I mean, the, you picked up on exactly what the title is meant to say. People talking about that they're killing it, but... It could be killing you. Make sure you separate. You talk to people. Get help. Keep your relationships strong. Make sure it's, we need to understand this is part of our nature as entrepreneurs, this dark side. And we have to find all the ways that we can do it to make sure we're, this may sound silly, but hacking our brand, hacking through the branches of the dark so we can get back into the light. It's critical for, not only for ourselves, for our companies.
1: Yeah, you know, Cheryl, I want to say thank you so much for for being a guest on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. It is really my honor to to shine a light on this because it's so important. It's it's not talked about enough. The opposite is talked about incessantly in in the entrepreneurial world: the hustle, the grind, the killing it. And you know, I, I really hope and pray that more people pay attention to the message of this book and the message from from the conversation that we've had today because it's it's really has the 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 power to have a hundred X impact in their business and their relationships and in the world. And so I really want to appreciate you for your vulnerability, your authenticity, and for being willing to share your story with the world.
0: Michael, I can't thank you enough for being willing to share this story. It's amazing what you're, what you're doing and you're an awesome interviewer by the way.
1: (laughs) Thank you very much. I, I, I take that to heart because it, it's hard. It's it, being an interviewer; it's hard. You want to ask really good questions and be thoughtful.
0: You are very good. You got, almost got me to tears there. So,
1: <laughs> where can we point people to learn more about you and what you're doing and your business, your book, and anything else that you want people to learn about?
0: Yeah, well, you can find the company Rebel at uh, R E B B L Rebel Co C O. Uh, Facebook, us, Rebel Elixirs, and Twitter is Rebel Elixirs. Our Instagram is Rebel, again, R-E-B-B-L. And if you want to learn more about the book, you can go to Um That's S-H-E-R-Y-L-O-L-O-U-G-H-L-I-N.com. Or um, at Facebook Cheryl Author.
1: And we will be sure to link to all of these things, all your company, your book, and and all of these amazing resources in the show notes page of the podcast so people can visit the episode page and, and actually link to all of that stuff. So thank you again for joining us on the Impact Entrepreneur.
0: Thank you so much.
1: I have two awesome gifts I want to give you. One is called the Clarity of Purpose Scorecard and the other is called the Six Bridges to Personal Growth and Well Being. I promise you these two tools will have a tremendously positive impact in your life and the ability to do the things that you want to do in order to respond to your call to greatness. Now head over to the impactentrepreneur.net forward slash scorecard and download it today. Now, Cheryl, thank you so much for being on the show today for your honesty and vulnerability. I appreciate you so much. You are an incredibly strong and courageous leader and are having a massive impact in the lives of those you encounter. Now, if you listeners missed any of the key points, we've got you covered at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash 53 for all the key points and highlights of our conversation. And while you're there, be sure to check out the Lawton Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them. Until next time, go make an impact.